Well, hi. <laughs> Missed you guys. If you're new with us and you're wondering what's going on, uh, my family and I have been on uh, sabbatical for the last uh, three months, and so it was a little strange walking in here last night uh, for a meeting um, and saying it's been a long time since I've been in this gym, uh, which is great, but it's great to see you all, and uh, our family had a great season of rest, and it's good to be back from sabbatical, or as Bennett called it, sabbatical. He somehow mixed up uh, the Vatican and sabbatical and called it sabbatical. I like to call it sabbatical, um, but it's, uh, it's good to be back nonetheless. We, nonetheless, we want to start with this. We just want to say thanks. And there's a lot of people we need to thank, and our hearts are full of gratitude, and we want to start there. First of all, we want to thank you all as a church that allowed us the space that allowed us the time to rest and reflect and grow. We needed it. In fact, we needed it more than we thought. But I also want to make sure I thank and we thank our elders. Because it's our elders that had this idea. This was not my idea. This is not our idea. They said, we want you to rest. Not because there's a problem. Not because we think you're burned out. Not because we just want to be in a get-to situation where you can do this rather than when you have to. And we just want to take care of you. And we felt so honored in that process and the fact that we didn't have to worry while we were on sabbatical to know that the elders and the leaders of this church were taking care of it. It was awesome. So I just want to say thanks to our elders from up front. I hope you all get a chance to say thanks to the elders uh, as well. I also want to thank Ben Pitson. Ben stepped up in some great ways, um, which uh, were so helpful uh, for me to be able to rest And I want to make sure that we thank Doug and also Mare and uh, Caleb and Kylie because they took on extra responsibilities and an extra weight. And so can we just turn around and just embarrass them and thank them uh, for the last three months? Well, I also want to um, thank something that you didn't e- maybe didn't even know existed called the Sabbatical Advisory Team. Uh, it's a team of people that my, my, I have a life coach and he suggested, why don't you get a group of wise people from your church together and meet with them once a month for those three months, so three meetings in your living room. And we just had drinks and appetizers and finger food and hung out. And they just got a chance to ask us questions like, so how are you resting? What are you reading? How's your marriage? Um, what are some fun things that you've done? How has the Lord uh, shown up in your life? And it was great. It was filled with lots of laughter and stories and also lots of tears. They saw me in some dark places too. And uh, we just felt so loved by uh, those people. And I want to make sure you know who they are. Um, that's Claudia Bryce, Steve High, you can stand up, Ange Freed, uh, Mike Gribben, and Doug Moister. So if you're here, just stand up. I want to make sure that we thank them as well uh, because they had a role. Thank you, guys. And, and finally, thanks to those who, who babysat and sent us cards and gift cards to go out to dinner. And you all, we just felt really blessed. But very specifically, some of you even took the kids uh, overnight so that Megan and I could have uh, a little a day trip here or there uh, throughout. So we're so thankful for that. So, you know, it's interesting when others heard that we were on sabbatical um, and they said, oh, you're on sabbatical. It's amazing the different reactions I got. Right. Some of the reactions were like, wow, like you feel 
I hope you feel really loved and supported. That sounds like an amazing group of people that are allowing you to do that. And I said, I know. Uh, some people said, are you worried about the church? Like, are, are you worried to come back and like no one will be there? And like, are you worried that, um, you know, are you checking in regularly to make sure everything's taken care of? And I said, no, they've, they've got it. Um, so you're not being punished? Like, you're not, you're not burned out? Like, there's no problem? There's no tension? You're not on probation? Like, not that I'm aware of. I mean, so I, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for that. Even Kylie, Kylie Moister, uh, we, we heard that she, she said to Mayor, uh, she said, did, did you, Mom, did you know JR is visiting different churches? <laughs> is he leaving? I said, no, 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 no. They're just taking a break and getting a chance to, to be with other congregations before they come back to be with us. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we want to be able to say is that we missed you. We missed you. And it's hard to believe that it's been three months. In some ways, it feels like it's been quick. But when I think back to the end of July, like that's a long time ago at the same time. And uh, so we're very grateful to be here. We missed you. We enjoyed visiting different churches. Uh, and in the car ride home, we'd always say, boys, what did you see? What was similar to Renew? What was different? You know, what sticks out to you? And uh, they all said, you know, this is, this is a good church. And, but we really miss Renew. Can we go back to Renew? Can we go back to Renew? So we missed you all and we're, we're glad to be back. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I think when you walked in, you should have received an index card. I actually want to put you to work uh, during uh, the teaching. So here's what I'd like uh, with this. Uh, if you're new, you get a pass. You don't have to do this, but you can if you want to. But if you got an index card or if you didn't, they're, I think right inside the door there, maybe someone can help pass those out if you didn't get one and a, and a pen. Um, but I'd like for us just to take a moment I can't sit down with every single one of you for lunch or coffee or a meeting to say, how are you doing? Even though I'd love to do that, it'd, it'd be like three months just schedule-wise before I was able to do that with everybody. But here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to just hear from you all briefly, even if you're new. Introduce yourself to me. I'd love to hear that. But what are, what's in your own life, since we've been gone, what's the most significant thing that happened? I've heard some of you have had babies. Some of there have been health issues, uh, job promotions, Whatever, but just update me on you or your family's life uh, real briefly. It could be a sentence or two or a bullet point or whatever. Um, and then again, what in your opinion do you think is the most significant thing that happened in Renew in the last three months? Update me on that. Um, and then third, what, what excites you about the future? What makes you hopeful about Renew? And then finally, how can I be praying for you this month uh, as we're re-entering here? So... Um, yeah, and if you do that and my teaching gets boring and you want to focus on that, I'm not offended. That's totally fine. But uh, when we're all done, if you wouldn't mind, just, just bring it up here and put it on the table at intermission. Uh, that'd be great. And I promise you I'm going to read those. And if you want me to follow up and if there's something significant, let me know. And, uh, and I want to, want to be able to, to do that. But uh, just put it up here during intermission if you don't mind. The other thing we want to say is that we're proud of you. And I want to say this in a way that doesn't come across as condescending or speaking poorly of the churches that we visited. Again, they were great churches. But we're so glad that we're at Renew. We don't mean that in a bad way, but we just walk away and go, man, we're just so glad we're a part of this family. We're so glad that we're here at Renew. And we're pr- proud of being a part of Renew as we seek Christ together. You all have stepped up and you've served and loved and prayed and given and worshipped without us. And uh, that makes me really proud uh, of you all in that way. So 
Well, I also want to share with you how God met us during uh, the past three months. And just to be clear, what I want to try to avoid here is uh, that we don't feel like we're in Aunt Thelma's living room and she's updating us with her slideshow on her trip to Branson, Missouri. Um, you know, and then we went here and then we did that. But I'm going to throw in a couple stories and pictures and just so you know, because some of you have already asked, how was your sabbatical? What did you do? And so I'm going to do that briefly. But I want to teach. I'm, I want to teach because I miss teaching. And I want to share with you what God uh, taught us, reminded us, shaped us, formed us during this time. And so we'll sprinkle in some of those stories. But to put it very directly, um, I'll say this, that sabbatical was a gift. It was a tool. It was a mirror. And it was an emotional colonoscopy. <laughs> It, it, it really did some things. But, you know, when we think about Sabbath or sabbatical, there's really four main things. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate. We reflect, we pause, we process together. What does this look like? And so, um, Sabbath exists for these reasons, and people have asked, you know, so what did you do? And the first thing we did was, we didn't do anything at all. We just stopped. We just rested. We needed it. Uh, a lot, a lot more than we thought. Um, meeting with my life coach, uh, who's worked with a lot of pastors going on sabbatical, he said, here's the deal. You're addicted to adrenaline. He said, every pastor is addicted to adrenaline. Even the healthiest of pastors, here's the deal. When you go on sabbatical and you go off this, you're going to crash. You're going to come off your sabbatical, uh, your, your adrenaline, and you're going to crash during sabbatical. You're going to sit on the couch, and after five minutes, you won't be able to get up. Don't be afraid. You don't have mono. Don't go to the hospital. I'm like, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm really healthy. He was wrong. Because I was on the couch for seven minutes and then I couldn't get up. (laughs) Man, no, he was spot on. He was spot on. I was so tired. I said, so what do I do? He said, every day for three weeks, take a nap in the afternoon. I'm thinking, I haven't taken a nap since high school uh, consistently, you know? And he said, uh, just do it. And so, what do we do the first month? I, I slept eight hours a night, which I haven't done consistently in my adult life, and I took a two-hour nap, and had no problem then falling asleep at night <laughs> again. I was just way more tired than I ever realized. So, we didn't do anything. But we also did some other things. And then we, did, we went to a lot of baseball. We love baseball as a family. Uh, we enjoy that. The boys are now playing t-ball and baseball. So they're understanding the nuances of double plays and tagging up and the shift and all that stuff. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. But uh, we got a chance to go to nine different uh, ballparks, which was a lot of fun. And um, six major league parks and three minor league parks. And we just love it. We got a chance to go to the Phillies. We went to, I went to Fenway with my dad and brother. Um, which was a lot of fun. Um, we went to uh, Advance. Whoops. Why is this not working? And that's, well, all right. Well, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, Ange. How about that? Uh, after Fenway. One before that. So I got to sit in the bleachers at Wrigley Field, which was a blast. We went to Camden Yards, among others. So that was great. And I learned a lot of parallels between life and baseball in the midst of that time, which was a lot of fun. So, But we also um, experienced um, experienced beauty. We were out in God's creation. You see, yeah, we got to go to Ocean City and just play in the waves in the sand. And 
a lot of barefoot backyard baseball games and um, you know things like that. But we also enjoyed the autumn leaves. I just come alive during the fall, and so I just had a chance to take. Uh, I went to uh, five different museums. This is one of the, one of the outdoor museums we went to in New Jersey, and um, yeah, just enjoying the leaves in the fall. And uh, I just come alive during that time. But uh, we also made memories as a family. We we rode bikes. We uh, did family trips. We went canoeing. We played in the waves. Um, played mini golf, went for ice cream runs, just had a chance. It was great to have our kids say, this has been awesome. We just love being able uh, to do this and, and go on different hikes. And um, so we enjoyed that uh, thoroughly. Here are some of the other memories we made. Next slide. Um, I had probably a little too much time on my hands, I guess. And uh, next slide, uh, certainly enjoyed Halloween. And um, that was a lot of fun. Someone said I looked like Seth Rogen, and I can't get that out of my mind right now. So... Um, um, but we also visited different churches, and we learned a ton, and we appreciated further how God is actively at work in different uh, communities. Um, we worshipped in five different states, and we worshipped at a church less than a mile from here. And so that was really great to just be exposed. It was a little weird to sit in the back row and not have any responsibilities. But you know what? It really helped us have fresh eyes of what it's like to be a new person at church. That was really helpful for us, because it's been a long time since I've been a new person. <laughs> I mean, we had all sorts of questions like, is this, are we, is this when it starts? No one's here? Uh, where's the bathroom? Where do we take our kids? Um, how does this work? Uh, why is no one talking to us? Are we allowed to take communion? All these things. So I think that helped me think about even how we gather and so I think we'll see some of those changes moving forward of just um, helping people who are newer feel more comfortable now that we were able to do that 12 different times. Um, and then lastly, I spent a lot of time in reflection. Um, I mentioned uh, you know, meeting with my life coach, but I had a chance to meet with a good Christian counselor. And I just popped the hood uh, on the car of my life and just said, hey, just you're the mechanic, poke around. Um, tell me what, uh, maybe my fluids need to be topped off, maybe my engine is blown, but I just want to submit to you and your expertise and uh, just some really good, sometimes hard things that I learned about myself, uh, but very uh, helpful moving forward to make sure that I'm as healthy and as whole as I possibly can be. Um, in addition to that, I journaled every day, something I haven't done in a decade. Um, I read a lot of great books. There was a lot of time of silence um, I studied uh, the Bible uh, more in depth. I reflected, again, as I mentioned, with the advisory team. But I was able to be fully present with God and with other uh, people, which was great. But there's one metaphor that really uh, describes my time, and I want to use that during the, the teaching time. In our backyard, and if you've been to our yard, we, know have, we have a couple small trees. We've got lots of plants, and the flowers bloom at different times. We have different colors throughout about six months, and we love that. But there was one tree, a small cherry tree in our backyard that we began to notice about six or nine months ago. It's starting to die. The branches and then kind of working down to the point that this summer, completely dead. And so over sabbatical, we said, okay, at some point, i got to spend time in the yard. i got to rip it up. we gotta, we got to deal with this dead tree now. And um, some of those 
uh, that, that process of being able to see that was really helpful. The tree was dead. I had to acknowledge that. I had to get everything out. Not everything in the yard was dead. Other things were really flourishing, but this particular thing right in the center of our yard needed to be dealt with. Um, so I took a shovel and a wheelbarrow and an axe and realized that my shovel wasn't going to get to the bottom of these roots, so I had to take the axe out and just just kind of kill um, at the root of, of uh, the issue and just take just pull it out uh, kind of a whole, whole afternoon um, exercise experience that I had had to do. And here's what I realized. This is kind of like my life. There are some things that are flourishing, but there are other things that are really dead. And so those dead elements needed to be ripped out. And sabbatical became a time where that needed to occur. And I became aware of some really unhealthy and destructive patterns and ways of thinking in my life that needed to be dealt with. And I think, uh, I think when you have a chance to turn down the noise, you begin to see and hear and realize and learn things that you normally wouldn't have learned had the noise and the busyness level been at its uh, normal level. So with the noise low, I began to see how some of my fears had actually been controlling me and robbing me of a lot of joy. And I was a much more fearful leader than I ever imagined. And, uh, and I realized in that fear how much I was trying to control and fix people rather than to love them. And I began to realize that in many ways, and I, several people within this church family, I began to realize that my desire was to try to control and fix you all rather than just love you well and help us pay attention to what God was up to in our lives. And I realized that my drivenness, while some of that is good, actually had layers of fear and anxiety and pride to them too. I read a really helpful series of books on how to grow as a Christian. I I brought them. I mentioned this to the men's discipleship group the other night. And um, how do we grow and how do we realize the false narratives that we have going on in us? And I began to realize, man, I was listening to a lot of these false narratives. So I began to ask this question. Next slide. And this question was, what false narratives am I tempted to believe about God, about myself, and about others? Because what we think actually flows out into how we behave, how we act, how we interact with the world, right? So I began to sit with this, and I want to encourage you all to sit with this question. It's a hard question, but it's a good one. And I spent weeks thinking through this. What does this mean? What does this look like? And I want to share some of those false narratives that, I was t- that consistently I've been tempted to believe. That I'm not doing enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not ministering enough. I'm not producing enough. I'm not preaching to enough people. making enough money. Fill in the blank. I'm not blank enough. And I was seeing how that was fueling this fear and, and keeping me from actually living a life of freedom, which was another false narrative that freedom and living a free life is possible in this world and it's possible for other people I'm just not sure it's true for me another one was that God loves me but I'm not entirely sure he likes me or he delights in me another one work hard be prepared do good and you will always be rewarded which led into the next one a very damaging and destructive false narrative God loves me more when I'm a good boy. And conversely, He loves me less when I'm a bad one. This was hard to write these down. And to realize, whoa, 
I'm supposed to be a pastor calling people into the gospel. This saving, loving, freeing gospel. And, and I'm struggling to believe this myself. So that first month was a very dark time for me. It was very hard. Because these ways of thinking deeply impacted how I've been leading here at Renew over the past several years. And I began to see how that hurt some of you all. And because of that, I need to confess that. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness for the times that you felt used in ministry or here at Renew. The times I've tried to control or fix you rather than love you well. I need to ask for your forgiveness for the times that I've let my drive and my busyness communicate that tasks are more important than you. I need to ask for your forgiveness for the times that I've thought that simply learning skills and how-tos is more important than a deep, closer, intimate, growing relationship with Christ is. And as we look to the future, I hope that my drivenness doesn't go away because I am wired for drivenness, but I hope that my drive is filled with freedom and not with fear. And I hope my desire to fix people can be replaced with a deep desire to love people well. And I hope that my anxious spirit at times can be replaced with a peaceful presence. And by the way, since this is my family too, I want you as family members to pull me aside and lovingly tell me, hey, remember what you talked about? Let's make sure we don't do that again. Hey, I think you're leading this way. I want that. I want you to help me. I need you to help me in this. Well, that was ripping out those, the, the dead tree and hacking out those roots with my axe. I still had a big giant, looked like an on-deck circle. There's this big circle of dirt in the backyard. And I, I thought, oh, I'll wait to the spring to plant grass. And Megan said, I think we have enough time in the fall. Let's just try to grow the grass there in that patch and let's see what happens. So we're trying to race against the clock a little bit. Little did we know how warm it would be so late into the season. So we're really glad that after ripping out the dead tree, I went to Lowe's, got some grass seed, uh, read the package. And of course, you read the package. It says, prepare the soil, remove the rocks, all the roots, all the debris, rake it in thoroughly and carefully, uh, as some of you have obviously uh, planted grass before. And then it said, in italics and bold, the most important thing is in the first few weeks you water every day, morning and night. So twice a day, be out there watering. Essentially, if new growth was going to happen, they're basically saying you have to create healthy and fertile environments to be able to do that, and watering twice a day is that. I can't grow it on my own, I began to realize in that process of trying to grow this new grass, but it needed the right setting for it. That was my part. That's what I was responsible for. So every morning and evening, I'm out there, just with my hose, just doing this, lots of time, by myself, just watering. I just needed like a stogie and an old robe and I would look like an old man. Like, get off my lawn, you know? That's what it felt like. It was just a lot of this. A lot of just boredom and come on, baby grass, grow. Why aren't you coming up? Silence and reflection became the conditions for the soil to allow the seeds to be replaced in me. It was a lot of this for me. Reading and praying and journaling was that watering process. And in that time, I had a friend in Chicago share something with me that became the most important thing the Lord gave me. And it was actually a picture. 
I want to show it to you. Here's the picture. It's an icon. Now, I don't have a Catholic background. Icons are not a part of what I grew up in terms of my tradition. But I had a friend share this with me. Now, this is one of the oldest Coptic icons. Coptic meaning just Egyptian Christian. This was found in Egypt in the 6th century. And it's called Abbot Mena and the Christ. So Abbot Mena was in charge of this monastery in Egypt. He ran the monastery there. You see him on the left. And then Jesus there on the right. And at first when he showed me, I thought, oh, that's a cool picture. That's kind of neat. You know, an old relic. It's in the Louvre today. You can see it in Paris. Well, that's kind of cool. But I began to sit with it and watch it. Some of you have participated in the prayer and scripture practice of Lectio Divina, right? Sacred reading. One thing I hadn't really done a whole lot was a new term called Visio Divina. Of actually looking at some sort of image and saying, God, what do you want to, is there anything you want to teach me or show me or reveal to me or confront in me? And so I began to do this every day. I printed it out off the internet, and I sat with it. I would just open it up, and I would look at it. And uh, I'm just going to ask you, what do you see in this? Is there any, and I'm not fishing for any answers, but what do, what do you see here? Yeah, Christ's hand on the abbot's shoulder. It took me a while to see that. Like, oh, those are fingers over there. Yeah, his arm is around. Sure. What else? The abbot is pointing Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, that's, that's him right there, right? Yeah, what else? Yeah, Peg. Oh, interesting. I never noticed that. It is so cool. Very cool, Angela, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. And I didn't know this, but scholars tell us that those are supposed to represent the four Gospels. So, yeah, yep. And then I don't know if you can tell, Abbot Menas holding the scroll in his left hand. His, and apparently, again, the art experts know more than I do, said the scroll are, since he runs the monastery there in Egypt, were kind of what are called the monastic order, basically the rhythm or the rule of life that this monastery together would practice, participate, work, pray, the kind of the schedule um, that he's been entrusted with. So, yeah, Ken, did you have something? Is Jesus wearing a head cover? Oh, it's a halo. So they're both, you know, kind of the old pictures had halos around them representing that they were holy, and of course Jesus has the cross in the halo. So, yeah, Angela. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and as I sat with this, sometimes I'd sit with it and I'd see something new I didn't notice. Like, wow! And this is really interesting. And so here were a few of the things that stuck out to me. Jesus and Abbot Mena are facing the same way. They're not looking at each other. And that was really moving for me. As if Jesus were saying, you know, side by side, you're saying, let's do this together. Let's do, I, I'm going to use you, but I want to work with you. And I want to move together with you. That we're known and we're loved and we're invited to participate in Jesus in our given weeks. See, the French, the other thing I learned is the French don't call this Abbot Mena and the Christ. They actually call it Christ and his friend. Christ and his friend. And that's the thing that was so moving for me, something I've known since I was a kid, but I needed to hear during sabbatical. And it was this so simple Jesus is my friend. 
He's my friend. He's my teacher and my Lord and my Savior, but He's my friend. During that time, I was listening to John Mark McMillan and one of his songs called Future Past. And there's a, 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 there's a stanza in there that, that really hit me as I've been reflecting on this in the mornings. It's a worship song, so he's, he's saying this, speaking this, singing this to God. He says, You hold the reins on the sun and the moon like horses driven by kings. You cover the mountains, the valleys below, with the breadth of your mighty wings. All the treasures of wisdom and things to be known are hidden inside your hand. And in this unfortunate turn of events, and he bolts at the top of his lungs, and you ask me to be your friend. Jesus' hand on Mena's shoulder, a loving and protecting posture, this is how Jesus wants to use his hands. And I was struck by this question. Is this how I use my hands in a loving and protective posture? Is this how we together can use our hands as a community? And that's interesting. I'm so glad Peg pointed out the eyes. I never noticed that, that one looks like Jesus and one one looks like just Mena's eye, which that has some incredible significance I need to sit with some more, but... Jesus' eyes, it looks as though he has one eye on Mena and one eye on the world. And as a pastor, that was really helpful for me to say, if I'm going to think and see like Jesus, I'm going to have one eye on the world and one eye on Jesus. Now, Mena's eyes are prominent and his ears are prominent. There's a willingness to listen to Christ's voice and see what he sees. But it's interesting that Mena's mouth is closed. And yet he's the leader, the spiritual leader of this community. It was a season for me to just say, hey, listen, don't talk, just listen. That's what I, was so helpful for me. Was this. Now, I shared this with the sabbatical advisory team, and it was really cool. So during our last meeting, they surprised me. I didn't bring it today, but they bought me and framed this wonderful, beautiful picture of that. It's hanging in my office. As a constant reminder that Jesus is my friend. And I hope I never forget that. And when I forget it, will you remind me? And when you forget it, I'll remind you. And when the person next to you forgets it, you remind them. In Philippians 3, it said this, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. If Christ is my friend, I want to know Him. And this, I wrote this on a 3x5 card, and I distinctly remember walking around Princeton University for the day, just enjoying the leaves, seeing the, the um, art museum there on the campus, and just, just letting this wash over me as I was walking around. You know, those false narratives I had at the beginning of my time began to be replaced to what Jesus really thought about me as his friend. And the biggest one came from the series of books I mentioned earlier, and it was this. And I found myself saying this regularly, whispering this to myself. I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. 
And when I began to get fearful or I began to wonder all sorts of things or my mind would wander and I'd be distracted, I would just whisper under my breath. I've done that in the car and walking around town. Just say, I am the one in whom Christ dwells. And He doesn't just dwell in me, He delights in me. And I live not just in the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God. I want to encourage you to do the same. Memorize that. Whisper that to yourself through a given day. And here's what I had to learn by Jesus being my friend. I had to relearn it. That Jesus loves me not because I'm good. Jesus loves me because I'm J.R., His child. So as I'm standing out there, just watering, nothing's happening, two weeks, no grass. I thought, well, I guess I missed it. We'll have to do it again in the spring. One of the trips we did as a family is we went off to, uh, to Baltimore and to D.C. for the weekend. Um, we were going to go down to visit a, a church a, a friend of mine is the pastor of in D.C. And then we kind of said, well, let's do the mall. And like, hey, wait, there's a home game on Friday night at Camden Yards. Let's go watch that, you know. So we took Carter out of school at about 2 o'clock on Friday. We traveled down, beat the traffic, went to the Inner Harbor. Uh, we went to the, the Orioles game. We walked around the mall on Saturday and to Air and Space Museum, National Gallery of Art, Natural History Museum, Lincoln Memorial, MLK, right, the whole deal. And then Sunday visited a friend's church. Now we left Friday afternoon at 2, no growth. Got back Sunday at 8 p.m. I'm bringing stuff in. I look out, I'm like, what? Four inches! All the grass! I was like, yeah! I'm like, did I just get that excited about grass? That's weird. But I was. I mean, I was so excited. Did you see it? It's amazing. Look! Just in one weekend. And it reminded me in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells this story. He says, the kingdom of God... This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day whether he sleeps or gets up or goes to Washington, D.C. The seed sprouts and grows. And though he does not know how, all by itself it produces grain. First the stalk, then the the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And I went, wow! Wow! Look at what the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God that I live in, of whom quite Christ dwells in me and He delights in me, in that unshakable kingdom I live, look, I get to live this. Look at my grass. That's what God's doing in me. That's what was happening in my soul. New growth was happening in place of the dead that had been ripped out during this time. The seed was sprouting. It was really exciting. And the gospel became bigger and greater in me. I just needed to be captured again by the good news of Jesus. Maybe some of us do too. I mean, we just sort of, some of us maybe hear this for a long time and we go, eh, sure, that's great. But to be captured in it again is what I needed. And I reread a, a story um, by Ernest Hemingway, called, a short story called The Capital of the World. It's a wonderful short story. The book takes place in Spain. And in it, he told the story of a father and his teenage son, Paco, who was estranged. They were estranged from one another. Paco had wronged his father. He was shamed and embarrassed, so he ran away and um, wasn't planning on seeing his father again. He had made his, his father very furious. But the father 
said, I just missed my son. He got over his anger. I missed my son. And he tirelessly searched all over Spain for Paco, but to no avail. And in the final desperate attempt to find his son, he goes to Madrid and he places a large ad in the daily newspaper there. And in large, stark, bold letters, he writes full-page ad in the newspaper, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana. Noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. And on Tuesday at noon, the father arrived at the hotel astonished by what he saw. 800 boys named Paco showed up. Boys who so desperately desired to be reconciled with their dad. The world so desperately longs for forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's no secret that the church in North America has done a terrible job of loving well in this last season. And I just want to be committed to being a part of a group of people, continuing to be committed to a a group of people that are saying there's reconciliation and there's hope and there's redemption of a father who loves you, who stands in the plaza, not just at noon on Tuesday, but every single day of your life. And says, all is forgiven. Papa's here. And he can handle 800 Pacos, and he can handle 800 people not named Paco, and he can handle anybody who's willing to say, I want that reconciliation. Being captured again by Jesus was just being reminded of God pursuing us in our sin, that we were enemies, we were orphans, we had no hope, we had no future, that His plan was to make us friends and sons and daughters and heirs of His great plan. And as a church, I want to just make sure that we bring hope where there's no hope, to be a hopeful community for the spiritually disappointed. And I was just reminded again during this time that the Gospel is good news only to those who are broken. If we don't feel like we're broken, this is not good news. It's just noise. But God cares deeply for those who are broken, those who are left out, those who are in need of reconciliation. And Jesus has this way of beautifully rehumanizing people in a world that's full of a lot of dehumanization. God loves everyone. Everyone. And do we believe this at Renew? That was a question I had. Do we believe that to our core? That God loves everyone and desires for everyone to show up at Hotel Montana to be reconciled with Papa. So we can cease striving and learn to actually enjoy God enjoying us. That was another phrase that stuck out during my time. I can enjoy God enjoying me. Here's another thing that I had to have wise, trusted people remind me of. That I'm not, JR, you're never going to get Christianity unless you see it as extremely different from religion. <laughs> see, when, what, where we go wrong, tragically wrong, is when we exchange or confuse Christianity from religion. I spent time in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I realized that the Sermon on the Mount can only properly be understood if you know that you have value. And you do. Religion thinks that obeying the law is what gives me value, but the Gospel compels us in obedience because we have value of this Father who wants to adopt us into His family. 
And Jesus says in there, don't worry. You know why we don't have to worry? Because you have value. You have great value. If you don't have value, start worrying. But the thing is, you have value. I was listening to a few podcasts, one of them being a guy named Tim Keller who's up in New York City, and he said this. This is really helpful for me. He said, liberal religion says keep all the rules, try your best. It knows that you're loved, but it doesn't know that you're a sinner. (laughs) Conservative religion, fundamentalist religion, says it knows you're a sinner, but it doesn't know that you're loved. And it doesn't know that you actually have great value. Just, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But the gospel is when we realize that, yes, you are a sinner, but that you are deeply, truly loved by a faithful Father that gives you value. I don't want to be a church that makes sure that we know those things very clearly. We've done nothing to deserve this loving God who says, I want you in my family, I want to adopt you, I want to give you a future. He does it simply because He loves us. Not because we're good, but because we're us. Uh, another uh, psalm that was really helpful, another passage was helpful was Psalm 145. And there were three verses that really stuck out to me. And it says this, The Lord is trustworthy in all His promises and faithful in all He does. And I could read that a lot, but I really had to say, do I believe that? Because if I do, I don't have to worry. I can live in freedom. I can trust this friend who's really faithful. That the Lord is righteous in all His ways and He's faithful in all that He does. And the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to those who call on Him in truth. And I was reminded I just can't do anything without Jesus. I can't do anything on my own, on my own power. And several of the, the men in the room know this passage, but from John 15. And I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me, I in you. You'll bear much fruit. And it's this last line, apart from me you can do nothing. I had to wrestle with that. Do I believe that? Or do I think that my smarts, my experience, and my charisma, and my personality, fill in the blank, whatever can get by and then sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in. Or apart from Him, I can do nothing. But I'm bankrupt without Him. I had to wrestle with that. And then lastly this. While the Holy Spirit revealed parts of me that my tree was dead, that needed to be ripped out, that the conditions of the soil of sabbatical were what helped prepare it, and that silence and that watering and that reflection... But ultimately, I could do nothing to grow the grass. I just could prepare the soil. But I can't make a seed grow. That's His job. And I was reminded, Zechariah chapter 4, this very simple line, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Fill in the blank. Not by experience, not by education, not by smarts, not by charisma, not by fill in the blank but by God's Spirit. And I'll, I'll end with this. I came across something in my notes from, I don't know, a handful of years ago. I had forgotten I had it. and It was an Indian benediction. And it was this. And this is how I end the teaching here before we go to intermission. And it was this. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father be with you. And may the Holy Spirit come upon you and disturb you and trouble you and set you set before you an impossible task and dare you to do it 
until in your desperation you fall on your knees and remain there, until He fills you with His power, which alone will enable you to do it. And then, but only then, may the Lord grant you His peace. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for my friends here. that allow an opportunity to allow my family to rest. And God, I'm so grateful that we are excited as we come back, that we come back rested, come back with greater perspective, we come back with a greater reminder of this good news of Jesus, that we are Pacos who have a loving Father who wants us back. And we can show up at any time. God, thanks again that you adopt us, not just as sons and daughters, but that you're our friend, that you've got your arm around us, and you whisper to us, I love you, I've got you, I dwell in you, I delight in you, and you live in the unshakable kingdom of God, and let's do this together. Let's participate in this life together. God, I pray, um, just as I've confessed to my friends, I confess to you for the ways that I've led out of control and out of fear. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you help me in this next season, post-sabbatical, to be able to love well, to love lavishly, to remember this good news of Jesus that's here, available to any and all, and that you love everyone, everyone. And the Gospel is good news for anyone who admits that they're broken that you care deeply for those who are left out. And God, as we say at Renew that the only rule we have is no perfect people allowed, I pray that that just becomes um, the very thing that greases the skids in the direction of you so that we can get to you even quicker of knowing this amazing grace that we don't earn. And we're not, we're not saved and loved because we're good. We're saved and loved because we're us. We're your children. God, it's great to be back. Thank you for the break, but thank you for allowing us to come back to this church family where we feel at home. But it may not just be about us to huddle and cuddle, but may we turn our sights to remind others, guess what? There's a Jesus who wants to be your friend and to walk alongside of you. And it's with that that we pray. Amen.